fun, dude. Just take one hit. Don't you want to be cool? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm so high. <laughs> Nothing can hurt me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Marijuana. Kill. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the I Am Canvas Sativa podcast. I'm your host, Canvas Sativa. Apologies to everyone for not getting this show out, as usual, this Saturday. I lost power in my neighborhood on Thursday, which delayed a lot of the prep work for this episode. This episode will be an extension of last week's theme of ADHD and cannabis. We aren't going to be delving in and deconstructing an anti-cannabis movie this week, and that will, be, that will need to be pushed back till next week. However, I am going to feature two clips. The first clip is an old one from MSNBC's Countdown with Keith Oberman from April 2004. This clip features Dr. Claudia Jensen, who talks about the effects of medical cannabis for ADHD. The next clip is one from the U.S. House Judiciary Committee panel, Challenges and Solutions in the Opioid Abuse Crisis. This clip features a very very tragic testimony from Kristen Holman, a person who lost her brother to the opioid epidemic. This clip features everything we talk about regarding reefer madness, stigma, and people's hang-ups regarding this useful medical plant. This clip is why I do what I do, and why so many medical cannabis patients are pushing for full legalization on a federal level. And lastly, we'll wrap up the episode with the weekly Red State Cannabis News Roundup. There are diagnoses at near epidemic proportions for kids in this country, ADD and ADHD, attention deficit disorder and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Fair or not, they are so common as to become part of the vernacular, referring to our collective short attention spans and inability to focus. Don't mind him, he's got ADD. According to a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics, when our nation's doctors encounter a patient with one of these disorders, they go right to one drug, methylphenidate. You may know it better as Ritalin. But there is a lesser-known treatment, one that may, in fact, be more effective with fewer side effects. Cannabis. You may know that better as weed, reefer, Mary Jane, marijuana. Dr. Claudia Jensen is a clinical instructor at the University of Southern California and a practicing pediatrician who advocates the use of medicinal marijuana for the treatment of ADD and ADHD. Dr. Jensen, good evening. Hi, hello. This, How are you? Th this is, this is something you, you feel strongly about. Uh, you even testified before Congress a few weeks ago on the use of, of medical marijuana. What led you to the conclusion that this is a viable treatment for this disorder? Well, that's what patients reported to me, so I listened to them. And I started paying attention and asking more questions when I did patient interviews. Seems to be rather consistent. They keep saying it over and over again. There are uh, parents who are no doubt thinking as they, as they watch this, without any kind of analysis or any kind of medical explanation or the expert testimony of a doctor who has listened to patients, 
that this is that, that makes no sense to them. The idea that they are fighting on one front the the influence, the pernicious influence of marijuana in a teenager's life, a kid's life, and yet you are here saying that this can be of enormous value in treating this this rampant uh, and and life uh, constricting uh, disease. How do you how do you re respond to people who have the knee jerk reaction? How could this possibly be any good? Well, first of all, you're right. This is a potentially life-debilitating condition for a lot of children and adolescents. They become very angry. I think the answer to that question is that it needs to be evaluated by a physician before it's recommended to a, a, a child or an adolescent. And the truth is that one of the reasons that adolescents have an increasing use of cannabis and marijuana in this country is because they've been lied to. They've been told that this is a very dangerous drug and that it, it has no benefit. And unfortunately, that's not what they experience in the streets. And I think it's more appropriate to bring it up out of the streets and into the doctor's offices so that children and adolescents and parents can learn the truth, get some of the data, and look at this drug not with a reefer madness perspective, but more with a scientific and factual perspective. How would you administer this to children at what age? And I'm presuming that uh, the, the means of dispensing would be primarily those other than smoking it. Am I correct? That's, I, that's what I primarily recommend, particularly with ADD and ADHD, because smoking marijuana has such a short duration, it only lasts an hour and a half to two hours. Plus, there's the stigma of the child smoking anything, but smoking pot is a difficult social issue to deal with. When, you, when they ingest can cannabinoids or cannabis compounds, for example, marijuana, it lasts a lot longer. They can get all the way through the day with a single cannabis cookie or a piece of toast with cannabis peanut butter in it in the morning before school. They don't have to get stoned, it's dose re related, but they do get the benefit of being able to focus and pay attention, not be impulsive, not be angry, be peaceful and relaxed and pay attention in school, which helps them get better grades, which is the important issue. Anything would work. Dr. Claudia Jensen from USC, many thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Certainly. Before we leave tonight's number one story, one more thing you should know about it. According to Dr. Richard Gorman, the chairman of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Drugs, one of the most prescribed drugs for children is amoxicillin. One in four children taking it each year. This is an antibiotic commonly used to treat ear infections. Morgan, uh, Chair recognizes Ms. Holman for your opening statement for five minutes. Thank you. Um, February 17, 1996 was one of the best days of my life. My parents brought home the baby brother I'd been asking for since I was able to speak. My little brother Garrett grew to be one huge-hearted kid who always had the room laughing. His smile was contagious and he always demanded everyone's attention. We grew up in Forest, Virginia and we had the best childhood. We were always outside making up games, riding four-wheelers, and meeting with friends throughout our neighborhood. Garrett cared so deeply for everyone he loved. My brother had a bigger personality than words can describe. My brother would be the first one to stick up for someone and he'd be the first to stand out in a crowd. Garrett was diagnosed with ADHD very early in life. He was a hyper kid. He consumed everyone's energy at all times. When he became of age to make the decision to get off his medications for ADHD, he began to self-medicate. It started with marijuana. With marijuana, Garrett was able to self-medicate his condition on his own terms. 
He was able to function without feeling like he was forced to take a prescription medicine. He realized that this alternative would not work when he went to get a job and realized he'd be drug tested for any job he applied to. This is when he turned to more dangerous alternatives that did not show up on a drug test at the time. There was no explaining to him the dangers of quitting these prescription meds so abruptly, and there's nothing that we could say or do that he wanted to hear. We were just forced to watch him choose this path while hoping and praying he would see the light and reach out to accept our help. I watched my brother change from an amazing heartless or heartfelt selfless person to someone I did not recognize. There was a darkness in his eyes and an overall loss of life and love. Not only did I watch my brother change, I watched my parents and then myself slowly fade into that same dark place. The inability to help him made us all feel like we were not doing enough, when in reality we became so heavily involved in him that we all lost ourselves. We lived life never knowing where we would get that one phone call that no one wants to hear. As a sibling, I played referee between my mom and my dad, my parents and my brother, while often being angry at one or all of them just because none of us had the answer. Addiction is a subject that many feel ashamed to speak of, and because of this feeling, we were left to suffer alone. Close family and friends knew of Garrett's addiction, but no one but the four of us knew the true extent of it. Small talk and events that should be fun became hard, and having conversations with, with people, sorry, that worried my brother what he was constantly doing, and if I would see him again, became the only thing I truly cared about. Living in fear of losing my brother every day played a major stress role in my life, and I constantly dropped everything to be wherever I needed to be for Garrett and my family. I spent hours and hours trying to talk to him and trying to let him see how much love we all had for him. Garrett was angry with himself over his addiction. He wanted to be happy, and he couldn't. He tried so hard, and when he lashed out at us, it made it that much more hard for him. In December of 2016, I received the news that my brother had overdosed. My dad revived him and he was sent to the hospital. I remember getting that news and dropping everything and rushing to the car. When he finally woke up and he told us how lucky, we told him how lucky he was that he was still alive. He didn't even blink. He wasn't thankful, he wasn't relieved, and that's because he was already gone. My little brother was not the person looking back at me anymore and I didn't recognize this person and I couldn't understand why he wasn't hugging us and crying tears of excitement over getting a second chance at life. My family knew we needed to do something drastic. We needed outside help. Our normal interventions were no longer buying us time with my brother. We needed a solution and an action plan. <coughs> my parents forced him into a mental health evaluation, which he was only required to stay at for five days. After the five days, he reluctantly went to a 30-day in-house treatment program. One week after he was released, my dad found him overdosed again and revived once more. My dad forced a second evaluation, but the judge released him on February 6, 2017. I lost my little brother and only sibling on February 9, 2017 to a synthetic opioid that was delivered straight to him in the mail from China. I cannot explain why this happened to my brother and I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what my family could have done differently. What I do know is that the drug addiction did not just take the life of my brother, but it took a big piece of my family's life. There are empty silences and conversations where he should be present, and there's a fight in all of us that still does not want to give up, and I don't believe it ever will. Garrett wasn't just a good person, he was a great person who fell into a terrible trap that none of us could get him out of, though we tried and tried and tried. 
My family feels that we failed Garrett, but the truth is this is something that millions and millions of families are dealing with and people feel ashamed and they don't wanna speak out about what's going on and that just leaves people to suffer in silence. Although it's too late for Garrett, he is in my heart and head every day and it only feels right for him to reach people at a national level. I cannot be any more inspired at this point to do whatever I can to reach out to families like mine. Thank you. This is your weekly Red State Cannabis News Roundup. According to the inquirer-philly.com, a dispensary in Pennsylvania called Justice Grown Pennsylvania was selling medical cannabis for $1 a gram until they received pushback from the state's Department of Health, which forbids dispensaries from offering promotions or discounts on cannabis, except for veterans and seniors. The Department of Health spokeswoman said, quote, it is in the law. The law prohibits discounts. You can't run a promotional sale on medical marijuana. We let them know that they were in violation. Despite the state's rebuke of this promotion, 134 patients were able to benefit from the steal, with the dispensary's limit of two grams per customer. According to the Bismarck Tribune, Activist and chairman of North Dakota's Marijuana Legalization Initiative, David Owen, has gathered over 18,000 signatures to qualify recreational marijuana on the ballot this November. David Owen was also responsible for putting the state's medical marijuana initiative on November 2016's ballot just two years ago. Cannabis in North Dakota is said to account for roughly half of the drug arrests in North Dakota last year. According to Owen, if the state legalizes cannabis, law enforcement will have more time to focus on solving more serious and higher priority crimes. Coral records would also be expunged for adjudicated defendants. According to Fox 13 Salt Lake City, medical marijuana opponents in Utah want a judge to put a restraining order to keep the medical marijuana initiative Prop 2 on off November's ballot. Walter Plum III is suing Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox to prevent Proposition 2, which would legalize non-smokable medical marijuana in Utah. He, he is claiming his opposition on religious grounds, stating that, quote, members of all religions, including the Church of the Latter-day Saints, have a constitutional right to exercise their religious beliefs. This includes the right to not consort with be around or do business with people engaged in activities which their religion finds repugnant, and to refuse to lease their property to people engaging in activities which they deeply oppose. A proponent of Proposition 2, DJ Nance, quote, said, to call these medical patients repugnant, these people that are some of the most dire and desperate medical situations of their lives we find distasteful. The majority of LDS members support our ballot initiative, so for them to cloak themselves in this self-righteousness that they have, that they can't support this because of their LDS beliefs, I think is extremely unnecessarily divisive. The Mormon Church has declined to comment on this lawsuit, and the Lieutenant Governor's office said that the Lieutenant Governor has no comment on the pending lawsuit. 
and according to Anchorage Daily News, Alaska regulators are looking to take public comments on allowing on-site use of marijuana at dispensaries. There will be a 60-day comment period thanks to the vote from Alaska's Marijuana Control Board. Regulators have been deliberating what this would look like for many years, and the current draft regulation calls for consumption areas that will be separated from other areas of the retail dispensaries by walls and a door, as well as a ventilation system. Outdoor consumption areas will also be allowed, as well as autonomy for local governments to ban smoking on site. This wraps up our Red State Cannabis News Roundup. Stay tuned for next week for additional updates in Red State Cannabis Reform. And as always, stay medicated, my friends.